everybody. Welcome to episode three of the Grindcast. Uh, yeah, week three. We're doing it. Continuing to do it. This time, uh, Collins is joining me over Skype. You can say hi. I'm so far away. <laughs> so far away. Hello. But, <laughs> but thanks to modern technology, still very, very close. Yes, for sure. Um, Not going to be a problem. No, I don't think it is. If it is, then, you know, we just won't do it over Skype anymore. Ideally. Although... Since I'm moving to Germany in two months, we won't have a choice at some point, so we need to make this work. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out. So, um, yeah, because we're, we're very excited to bring you weekly episodes. It's going to be great. Yeah, we're going to do this until the end of time. Um, so, <laughs> so this week, uh, we're going to talk mostly about Standard, because that is where big things are happening. We had the, yes. the first Very modern- exciting weekend. Yeah, definitely. Super exciting weekend with the uh, first standard class, standard open uh, last weekend. Uh, lots of cool things happened, including uh, your team did pretty well. Uh, yeah, Team Lotus Box, we crushed it, honestly. Yeah. Um, we had uh, Jonathan Rossum finish in second place, uh, who also kind of just dominated the tournament from start to finish. Uh, he was undefeated in the Swiss, uh, with his only loss was a concession to our other teammate, Zan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, uh, the only match that he lost was in the finals. So, uh, you know, John Rossum was playing blue-white monument and was just really rocking that tournament. Um, and then we had Zan, uh, Zan Syed finish in, uh, third place who lost to John in the semifinals. Um... And then we also had just some other solid finishes across the board. We had Dylan Donigan finishing in 12th place, Julian John finishing in 18th place. Both of those guys were on um, Mardu. Yep. And then I squeaked in there with a 63rd place for a cash. So, um, yeah, can't be, uh, oh, can't be then, too upset about that. But but team-wise, that's yeah. an awesome performance, especially like with three very different decks, like three different archetypes played across your team. Yeah. And, and, and that is kind of something that I wanted to address a little bit, um, was that it's true. We all played different decks. Um, well, so Zan and I both played very similar decks. Zan played a kind of a Sultai Emerge deck. Mm-hmm. And Zan's deck was kind of an evolution of the deck that I decided to stick with for the tournament, which was the Teamer um, right. Emerge deck. So the only... Playing Prize Amalgams and Deep Fiend. Right, so that's, that's kind of the standard build... Um, but his is, you know, main deck, he's got those Grim Flayers as a two-drop. Uh, and then right. his board plan, yeah. rather than having a bunch of red removal spells, is a bunch of black removal spells and, and that sort of thing. Well, Fatal Push, right. Liliana, yeah. Bantu's Last Reckoning, and Never. Yeah. And the funny story there is that Zan actually decided to audible into uh, the the black version, kind of like on the drive up <laughs> to, to Cincinnati. <laughs> um and because he he really wanted a um, uh, a two drop in the deck, uh, sure. the deck that I ran last weekend had no two drops. It was really uh, and kind of a result of that was that I I always felt very behind until I was able to take over the game with Deep Fiends and Coastlark's Return and flashbacks and stuff. Right. Um, Bazan said that he just like he really wanted a two drop. We tried out. Um, uh, news Constrictor in that slot. Yeah. Um, but News Constrictor was just pretty bad overall. Uh, it's just like didn't do what you wanted it to. It didn't hit hard enough. Um, and, it doesn't block uh, very well in this format either. It 
Right. I mean, it threatens to block pretty well, which yeah. is a very real thing. But um, the reality is it's just like another negative card advantage card, and you just really need a, uh, a, a quantity of cards in your hand to be able to flashback right. on a dead just to twink scobs or whatever you're playing, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, he decided to, on Grim Flare, and he said that it, it was just great for him the entire weekend. Uh, well, clearly, and yeah, third clearly place in yep. you know, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, had he had he played um, yeah, but, so this iteration? Point, had had he managed to play this iteration at all before, iteration. or but had he, or was I it think just he like played a... maybe like three matches on Odo okay. before he had to leave or whatever? Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I mean, um, it ended up working out great. Uh, yeah, and so one thing I do like uh, the team dominated clearly, um, and I, I think I attribute that to the testing that we had done the week before. Mm-hmm. We just really went pretty hard on grinding standard as soon as it came out. Like that, the Monday night we were online, building decks, playing decks, um, just trying to get a feel for what was going on. And, and that was. Um, was that all of you guys um, just like online together, all playing leagues? Simul- you know, not everybody playing leagues, but most of your testing yes. was in leagues. Yeah, mostly like maybe half of us in the call were playing our own and match, and then the other half was like watching a match or just kind of like trying to absorb the information, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think that kind of like looking at that weekend or whatever and seeing that, that we all played different decks um, kind of looks weird, like from a like looking at a team or whatever. But the reality is, and I think that I'm kind of starting to learn this more and more, is that, um, sure, ideally, you, like, break the format and find the best deck yeah. and all play the same deck or whatever. But I think the most important part for standard and even other formats is that you just have to have a very good understanding of the format as a whole. Mm-hmm. How the and games then play out. Once you have against. that... Which is what we were, which is what we were really trying to foster with like our, our testing is just understanding what was out there and how to how to play against each matchup or whatever. Sure. Um, and once you have that understanding, you can just kind of play whatever deck suits you. And that's the other great thing about standard right now is that there are just so many excellent choices that you can be playing in standard. Um, right. It's like we're we're not in the like the marble dominance format, the Sahili dominance format or whatever. Right. Um, a lot of really good options to have and I don't think that any of the people on our team was wrong in our deck choice we all played different decks um, well mostly all different decks but um, I think that we all had very solid decks that were kind of really built for that week one metagame that we had discovered over the course of the weekend or the week rather yeah and that's that's something um, that I've experienced playing online is there are a lot of different decks and they are all scary in in different ways I I'm playing powerful decks but you know, most of my matchups, I, you know, there are ways for them to beat me and there are ways for me to win. It's, it's a cool format right now, which, which we'll get into as we talk about all the, the pillars of the format at the moment. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so what, yeah. you know, what were your like conclusions about the format going into the open, you know, as a team, was there any, you know, any particular feeling about what was going on? Yeah. So, um, there were a few things going on that we were definitely thinking a lot about, um, and uh, one of which was we wanted to kind of like have a decent read about which decks were going to be the most popular for that weekend. And there are a couple of factors that go into that. Um, those factors being uh, new cards that are seem very powerful that people want to try out, sure. such as Hour of Devastation. Yep. Um, 
And the other one being uh, which decks are getting a lot of uh, just a lot of media attention. Um, so we knew that uh, Brendan DeCandio's Teamer Delirium deck was getting a lot of media attention. Uh, everybody was writing about it. He was having success with it. He was telling people that it was good. Um, and I think that that just reached a lot of the ears of people who were paying attention for uh, what to play in Cincinnati. Like sure. the people that were going to Cincinnati already are going to keep an ear out for stuff like that. Like what are the pros playing? What's everybody excited about? And um, I think Brendan did a really good job of like hyping up his um, Delirium deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I, I anticipated that being another kind of like big factor for the weekend. And I did see it pretty much everywhere. Um, it didn't end up doing so well over the course of the weekend. Yeah. Um, right. It doesn't really show was, up in the top 64. Right. It, it doesn't really. Do. Uh, I know Brendan got like 69th or something. Um, and... Uh, so um, probably don't want to, you know, pro- it's probably not going to be such a force moving forward. But um, sure. it was definitely, if it was definitely one of the things that we were thinking about going into uh, the weekend, right? And um, so you felt, I mean, clearly multiple people on your team felt that that you know deep fiends were a way to go over the top of it and just end the game before you know like the the slower delirium elements could really get online and and. You know, right, yeah, advantage. the primary difference between, like, our Deep Fiend decks and his Deep Fiend deck was that his Deep Fiends were kind of like a like a little uh, small package of the deck, right? Like, mm-hmm. he wanted to do powerful things and have powerful cards, and he wanted all of his cards to be good, um, kind of like, a, you know, a Jundi style. Um, but our deck was more of like a dredgy combo deck, right, where we just wanted to be doing the same... Uh, our, our Deep Fiend deck, rather. We wanted to be doing the same thing every game. We wanted to... Um, uh, get back prize amalgams, uh, emerge off of our haunted deads, and deep in out of the game and just win on the spot, right? And that's and, kind and of so what to, the prize amalgams led us to. To just mention this this list, uh, in case anybody you know isn't sitting at a computer, isn't pulling up these decks right now, you know sure. the lists that you guys came up with, uh, and the list that you know several other people played and are playing online right now. Um, it's a lot closer to sort of the old Emerge deck from a couple of formats ago, back when, like, Gather the Pack was legal. Um, so it uses actual uh, instants and sorceries, uh, Grapple with the Past, and uh, Strategic Planning, and Vessel of Nascency to actually, like, spend spend time and mana to dump those cards into your graveyard because it's a right, pretty yeah. linear like- plan. Right, and our, our first couple of turns are generally utilizing those cards to set up, right? Um, so we're, we're trying to dump cards in our graveyard. Uh, we played four Champion of Wits, which is like the new one, right? That's really, really good. Because Champion of Wits lets you put your Haunted Deads and your Prize Mongoms in your graveyard, and it gives you a body to emerge off of later. Um, so that card really was kind of like the key to this archetype existing, even. Um, it just kind of like made everything work. It made everything fit together pretty well. Yeah, I actually uh-huh. I ran your deck through a couple of leagues, like year exact seventy five, just to so I could talk intelligently about it. And yeah, it did not <laughs> sure. feel like it would have been a deck uh, without Champion of Wits. That just does so yeah. many things yeah. that you want the deck right. to. Do. Um, yeah, and and just kind of like a side note on playing that deck. That deck, and Zen said the same thing about his seventy five. Was that uh, it, it might be literally the hardest deck that we've ever had to pilot at a tournament it's it's Um, incredibly hard the matches i lost uh 
Well, okay, so I lost some matches to Monument uh, due to not seeing a single Kozilex return in my top 30 cards. That happened multiple sure, times sure. and was very yeah. frustrating. Uh, right. uh, the other matches I lost, like, I, I, not only am I sure that it's because I went down the wrong path on a decision tree at some point around turn three or four, but mm-hmm. I am not confident that I can, that I could like figure out exactly what the first wrong decision was and where I should have gone after that. Like it's it's <laughs> yeah. incredibly hard to play. Yeah. There there are just a million lines that you have to choose from every time like traverse targets, sequencing yep. cantrips, um the mana sequencing is hard. Um, when you need to traverse for extra land, when you're willing to play your sixth land, which is kind of something that you just never want to do. Right. Um, Unless you're planning on flashing back uh, Unless you want to get to a champion of wits, right? So you kind of have to make that assessment like very early. Um, uh, just like a million things going on. And so like super kudos to Zan for being able to top four this tournament with that deck because it. we were both talking to each other at the end of day one and we both made day two, but we were both just like <laughs> dying, right? We had a yep. huge headache. Uh, you know, playing this deck at a tournament was just really intense yeah playing um, it in a league is and, exhausting and i often had you know six <laughs> or seven minutes left on my clock when i finished the match so oh yeah yeah i have a screenshot somewhere of uh me like attacking for lethal um like not even bothering to animate my fumarole because i uh or my um my man land because i had like literally one second left on the clock <laughs> when uh when i dealt the lethal damage or whatever well, it was pretty great if you get there you get there hey man yeah scoreboard but so, I mean, so this is probably a good kind of transition uh, to talking about the decks that are that are present in the format right now. I mean, this is the the Magic Online metagame has moved quickly since the open. It's very different now from the you know the top sixty four yes. decks in the open. Yes, yeah. Um, but um, but one of the big things on about Magic Online that I do want to talk about, and we can either talk about that now or in a little bit, was the emergence of Mono Red. Yes, that's kind of my. My big one. I'm sorry, my dog's on my lap right now. Um, so, uh, yeah, I you cannot play a league on Magic Online without seeing mono red aggro. It's probably and, and I mean, mono red aggro is overrepresented whenever it's playable on Magic Online because it's it's a relatively budget deck. But yeah, this deck is legit, and you will play against it in paper tournaments. It's very real, um, and uh, just kind of like looking forward to the Pro Tour or whatever, Mono Red is one of those decks that people love to play at Pro Tours. Um, and like, there was a definitely a period of time where it won like, what, three, two, three Pro Tours in a row? Yep. Um, so I would not be surprised to see that happen again, uh, this Pro Tour. Uh, we're, we're seeing a Mono Red deck that has proven itself as a real factor um, in this format, it's beating up on a lot of the decks that are trying to re- do like really powerful clunky things, right? Yep. Particularly the emerge deck. Like if the emerge deck doesn't like cast a Kozilek return on turn three, they can't win. They, we just lose. Yep. Right. Um, and and a lot of things. Not only do you have to have the Kozilek return in your hand, um, you have to not have awkward mana. You can't be playing your lumbering falls on turn three. You also can't really yeah, be playing it assembling. on turn one or two because you needed to, like you know, crack your vessel or cast your strategic planning to try to find your Kozilek's return. Yep. It's really... Right. So the, the mono-red deck right now, the ones that I have been seeing are 
very low to the ground. They're not the ones from the open that went up to, you know, you see a glory bringer or something every once in a while, but they don't go up to like Thought Not Seer and Reality Smasher. They're a lot of haste guys. You see Bomat Couriers, you see Village Messengers. Earthshaker Kenra from the new set is really, that along with the Ramunap Ruins are, are really the cards that make this a deck, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, just the, the ability that, like, you have the fast starts, they get in a lot of damage. Um, and then one thing that mono red decks often kind of struggle with is, like, pulling through those last couple points of damage. But this deck is just so good at putting through those last couple points of damage. Right. Um, like, you've got you've got Hazaret to just throw cards at them. You've got your lands that can come into play and ping them or sacrifice to ping them or whatever. Um, you just got reach, just so much reach out of this deck. And even, um, if you, even if you hit six lands, which is usually a disaster for mono red decks... You get to eternalize your Earthshaker Kenra, and then for the next two turns, you get to sacrifice your lands to to throw to throw at them for two damage apiece. Like that's right. That's right. a lot of damage that if we were playing with more normal mono red cards, just wouldn't be available to the deck. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think the deserts were a huge boon to this archetype for sure, and yeah. one of the big reasons why it's just a thing now, right? And it, it looks like pretty much all of those deserts, the Painland deserts, are, are going to see significant standard play. Like, whether it's just for casting um, Eldrazi or, or whatever. You know, maybe yeah, not the blue sure. one, but the rest of them seem great. Well, unless you're playing some mill, in which case the blue one's great. All right, in which case it's a free mill card that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, like that whole cycle of cards. Like, you know, people are even talking about playing the black one in, like, modern. Um, yeah, free removal uh, spell. Why not? Right. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be that great modern because, you know, if Bolt's not good, then right. 2 minus 1 mana one counters probably isn't good. But, right. but um, once, if Death Shadow gets banned or something like that, or if it becomes bad somehow. Yeah, it's just something to, you know, not take off of your radar or whatever. Yeah. Um, for sure. Um, yeah, uh, I think that the, the white one was seeing play in um, the Monument decks. Yep. The black one was seeing play in Zombies. Uh, the... Red one was obviously seeing play in the uh, mono red decks, and then I saw the green one in both the ramp decks, just for extra deserts for Hour of Promise. Yep. Um, and I saw some green ones in a few green red pummeler decks. It's just a, another pump spell. Oh jeez, um, I didn't even think about that. That's a lot of power. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Um, you know, plus three, plus three on my pummeler, uh, fling it at you after I pump it three times or whatever, then you're just dead, right? right. You didn't um, even spend an actual so, pump spell on it. That's, that's very yeah. cool. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I do want to talk more about that pummeler deck in a minute here. Um, but, yeah. uh, yeah. Um, but I guess, yeah. So, so the main other decks you'll play against, like you'll definitely, you definitely need to be prepared for that mono red deck. Um, and blocking is not a good way to be prepared, but Magma Sprays, Kozilex Returns, Fatal Pushes, cheap removal spells, and then ways to get your opponent dead before, because they're eventually going to to deal the damage to you. Right, so, yeah. Um, the, right, the thing that's traditionally good against those kind of like low-to-the-ground mono-red decks is uh, just interact early and often. Like, yep. you want to be killing their dudes on turns one and two, um... Sweeping up their guys if you can on turn three or four or whatever. Um, and but then the other important thing is that you just have to have some sort of proactive game plan. I think to close the game out. I agree. Um, and one one exploitable place is the low toughness of their creatures in general. You know, 
Yeah. Like, Magnus Spray is live to kill their turn three play because they run four Oncrop Crashers. So... Yes. Right. So it's just yeah, I think incredible. Magnus Spray is great. Yep. Um, I think it's just great yeah. in this format after we talk about the other decks, so... Yes, for sure. Um, it's, uh, it's finding its monument if you really need to kill... Um, uh, selfless spirits. Right. It's great against mono red. It's great against the emerged decks. Being able to kill a haunted dead or stitching scob just for good is very relevant a lot of the time. It is. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, it's great against the aggressive draws of Mardu. Um, and yeah, just a lot of stuff. Yeah, just does um, a lot it's, for it's one man. It's not good against control or ramp, which are also definitely archetypes to be worried about. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think it's very strong. Right. So the other really big deck in standard, besides mono red aggro, I think is is still white blue monument. Um, yes. I just play against uh -huh. this constantly. Yeah. Um, yeah. White blue monument, thanks to my teammate John, was really kind of like the story of Cincinnati. Right. Um, he just kind of dominated the entire tournament, and there were a lot of other blue red monument decks that did well that tournament. I think there were two in top eight. Um, I know Jadine lost her winning in for top eight. Yep. Uh, and she was on camera a lot, too, just because she was yes, doing yes, well was. and playing well. Uh, so I think a lot of people got got a good, you know, f you know, first-person view of how... Because when the deck is good, when it's executing its game plan and then, and then you know, spell-quelling something, it looks unbeatable. So yeah, yeah, it, it's, sure. easy to, it's an easy deck to want to play. Right. Um, I, yeah, I think that that deck is one of those decks where, like, if you if your deck doesn't have a game plan against that deck, you're going to have a hard time. Um, there are just some decks that exist right now that kind of almost just can't compete. Like, any of the... Um, like, I think Black Green definitely has some trouble with that deck. Yeah. Um, the Teamer... The Teamer energy decks have some trouble with that deck, and so do the Teamer Delirium decks. I think that's might be part of the reason why... Um, Brenda Candio's uh, Team or Delirium deck kind of didn't do so well that weekend. Just that it just it didn't line up very well against the Monument deck. Yeah, I mean this is it's kind of a weird deck because it it has a lot of the sort of blue white flashcards. But what it really does when it wants to is it just out mid ranges everything. It just grinds really really hard against you know attacking with medium sized creatures and using three mana removal spells and that sort of thing like that's just not a yeah, game plan yeah. it's a game plan that it's doing better than anybody else can possibly do yeah and honestly i think that that deck just has like the best late game plan um of any other deck right um with just with like dust dons being able to i saw i saw john pick up you know seven ten cards with dust on frequently over the course of the tournament yeah. and and when he does that and just like discards hand size because he can't dump the rest of his hands or whatever yes then uh the game's just over right like you know he's done it yeah um yeah it's not so, because you don't if you have a monument out you they can't tempo you after that because you just end up with so many tokens as long as you can cast a couple of creatures on your turn right yeah and and the deck plays like a very high percentage of flyers too so it's not like you right. know you can really consistently go over the top of that deck with like um flyers like kind of you used to with the with the mono white version of that deck mm -hmm. it was just really only avison that you had to worry about but now we're playing just like a lot of flyers and stuff yeah um and one so I, I played against it several times uh with emerge and correct me if i'm wrong on sort of like how it felt uh i, I mean i i did have several games where i just could not find a kozilek's return for the life of me uh and those games felt impossible uh, and, and it's it's a really weird 
game, because the, the way it goes, it seems, is they're attacking you early on. You're, you're doing your, your milling yourself plan. Uh, you set up a Deep Fiend. You need to Kozilek's return them. And by that, I mean you need to remove their selfless spirit and then Kozilek's return them. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you need to kill them. Like, you need to have it set up so that you are killing them almost immediately after doing that. Because, you know, if you let them... If you, if you Deep Fiend them once, but then you let them untap once, then they're just going to dusk you out of the game. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's it's a it's a really tough matchup. I I and I doubt that I played many of my games properly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I managed I, well, to get there right. on some. But it, yeah. it's it's an insane matchup. I mean, I played against John in this tournament. Um, right, at around like six or seven. Um, we were both undefeated, and I played him, and he just crushed me. Like it wasn't close. And I I, I think that the the matchup is just very bad for um, the emerged decks. Yeah, and um, that, that would make me really i mean the difficulty of playing the emerge decks which is like uh, it's a legit concern i think over the course of a long tournament um combined with this really tough monument matchup especially once they bring in those nimble obstructionists uh it just i I don't i don't think that i could play an emerge deck in a in a tournament right now yeah um and for whatever whatever it's worth uh i am not playing an emerge deck uh this weekend in atlanta I'm playing standard, but I am moving on to something else because I, I think that that's probably the major reason is that I know that a lot of players are going to be on Blue White Monument, and I just don't I don't want to bother with that matchup. I just think it's it's too hard to win. Yeah, yeah, and it, it just be, beyond it being hard to win, it just feels bad. Like you you tap them yes. out with deep feed and they spend the mana on two clues and shrug their shoulders. Like it right it, yeah the things you're doing feel feel really weak. Yes, for sure. Um, so yeah, I, um, you know, the emerge decks were sweet or whatever, but I, I, uh, I'm just, I, I'm not excited about their future in standard, I should right. say. You just, if you're going to yep. be, yeah, I agree. Enough said about that probably. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I was very exhausted after yep. playing a couple of leagues again, leagues with it against blue white. Um, but that said, there is still a lot of emerge online um people are still pretty into the deck i mean it's a sweet deck and when it works it feels incredibly powerful kozilek's return mm-hmm. is an incredible card so you will play yep. against that deck um so you want to be ready for it i, I would yeah. I, at this moment i would call those kind of the three pillars of the format um um yeah uh, well so i think that um, i would throw mardu in with that camp as well okay if we're that's talking fair. about of the format that's fair. Um, I, I do want to talk about Mardu. Uh, so some of my other teammates played Mardu. Um, Dylan got 12th place at the Open with Mardu, and uh, Julian John got um, 18th place with Mardu. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it was kind of everywhere as well. Um, just like playing in the tournament at, at the end of the day two or whatever, uh, I think I played against like three or four Mardu decks in a row or something ridiculous. Um, so uh, I, I definitely expect that to be another one of the decks that is very popular moving forward. Um, Mardu is also a big uh, element in the online PTQ that we were talking about with the um, the mono red decks being everywhere. Right. Um, Mardu Mardu ended up winning that that PTQ. So um, it's it's definitely a real deck. Um, and you can pack it so, full of the exactly whatever type of removal you think is appropriate for the format at the time, which I think is a very, a, a big selling point, the, the kind of adaptability 
you know. Yeah, right. Mardu is just so adaptable. Like, for example, um, Mardu traditionally plays like two Avacyns or whatever in the main deck. Um, but Dylan uh, cut those for Glorybringers this weekend, mm -hmm. this past weekend, because he just felt like that would be a better option and a better fit. Yeah. Uh, and that makes a ton of sense. Um, uh, I, I think Avacyn had kind of underperformed for him this past weekend, and he was just like ready for something else. And he said that it was great and was crushing with it. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, that's cool. Yeah, that, I mean, I, I saw that in those lists. That's yeah. That's a cool. I, like, I had never thought about Glorybringer in Mardu, but that definitely feels right right now. Yeah, we used to have one in our sideboard mm -hmm. um, that kind of came in in particular matchups, but we just felt like the, the way the meta game had shaped up for that particular weekend, uh, Avizen was just kind of medium, and Glorybringer was just great. So yeah. we and went Mardu, ahead and made that swap. Mardu has a kind of difficult time flipping its Avizens too, which is kind of. Like, I think yeah. Avacyn can be a very good card in this format, but you kind of want to be able to choose when to flip it, and, and Mardu's not really capable of that. Right, yeah, Mardu's not playing any Selfless Spirits. Um, we are uh, currently very off um, Walking Ballista. Uh, mm -hmm. We think that card's just bad right now. Um, looking forward to playing against, like, modern red decks, we might want to reassess on that and maybe put in a, a few walker blisses maybe in the sideboard or something, but sure. again, like, you know, the, the cards that Mardu had kind of leaned on in the past to flip Avacyn just don't exist in the deck anymore, really. Um, um yeah, um, and then, so the two other decks I want to talk about are, uh, Ramp, which yep. I think that we're going to see a lot of going forward. Um, I saw a lot of ramp decks. I think that people are finally starting to kind of like tune that list down to something with, that they're all satisfied with. Um, I've been seeing pretty much all of the successful deaths, uh, ramp decks playing uh, a certain number of deserts uh, just to me make their our promises much better. Yeah, that uh, seems important. Uh, and then they're also playing things like uh, Thought Not Seer and um, Reality Smashers out of the sideboard. And because they, they're, I, I feel like we talked about this a little bit last week, but the, the decks that are doing well are definitely more um, not all in on the ramp plan. Like they're only playing the cycling three mana ramp spell and Hour of Promise as their ramp cards. Yeah. Um, the rest of the deck is just kind of chock full of interaction, be it uh, sweepers or um, spot removal. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's just like a really good spot for um, the just uh, a really good look for that ramp deck. Um, so I, I expect to see a lot of that going forward. Um, so it, it is definitely good to keep that on your radar. Yeah, I um, I agree. That's ramp is kind of where I'm looking to right now for my like I'm going to play in the PTQ on the the Mono, Moto PTQ on Friday, and I'm likely to play ramp in that unless you convince me to play the next deck that you're going to talk about. Yes, and, and that next deck I'm very excited about. Um, it's kind of a deck that's always existed, um, Green Red Pummeler. Mm -hmm. uh, ever since the card Electrostatic Pummeler came out, uh, people were playing decks that incorporated Pump Spells and Pummeler. Um, and I, I had always kind of like looked at that deck and just felt like it wasn't quite doing something powerful enough. But I have lost to this deck just over the course of its existence <laughs> so much. Um, so it's got to have something going for it, right? Sure. Um, and uh, I'd seen a lot of deck lists pop up in this new standard format with uh, Green Red Pummeler. Um, it was around last format as well. Um, you know, I talked all about getting flinged out of the Invitational, right? <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, 
I, I decided this week that I wanted to just kind of like pick that deck up a little bit and um, and and play with it. And wow, uh, honestly, yeah. I'm just surprised that more people aren't playing this deck. So it's it just felt that good, right? It's, it's, yeah, it just feels that good. Um, I'm currently in leagues. I am uh, 12 and 1 wow. with the deck. Wow. Okay, that's uh, legit. I mean, relatively yeah, small sample I, size, I, but that's very difficult to do. Right. Yeah, like, a pretty small sample size, but I 5-0'd the first one. Uh, I 4-0'd and then lost the second league that I played. Um, and then I'm now 3-0 in the current league that I'm playing with it. Um, and it, I don't know, it just, like, I, I'm just playing essentially a stock list that I pulled off of the um, uh, the PTQ. I'm not messing around with any blue cards or anything. And it, like, going down the road, I might end up trying some of that out. Mm -hmm. But I'm just playing a very stock build with four Pummelers, four Hydras, which might secretly just be the best card in the deck. Um, the the Hexproof element of Hydra is just super strong. Sure. Um, and I mean, you it's, you're also running four, four Blossoming Defenses, but it's kind of got the Blossoming Defenses built in, is how badly that right, deck right. wants yeah. the effect. Yeah, for sure. Blossoming Defense is just insane um so uh yeah the number of times where like you play all these threats that your opponent has to respect on turn two like yeah. you're playing cups that your opponent has to kill and you're playing um uh the the brawlers that your opponent has to kill and then they you see them just kind of like use two removal spells and then you're just like pummel or go and and every time I do that, I always like see them like pause for a second or two and just be like, "Yeah, I don't have any removal spells anymore." Like, I and think then I'm you dead. Kind of like go in on it. Um, gotcha. Yeah, and you know, and the games where you have Pummeler, a pump spell, and blossoming defense are just game over. Like that, you've just assembled Tron and they lose, right? Because <laughs> um, then, then they actually can't do anything about it. Um, yeah, so uh, that's kind of like the recent deck that um, my team is putting some hours into this week. Um, currently, I am pretty set on playing Pummeler in Atlanta. Um, I think the deck is just way stronger than people think it is. Um, and uh, I, I'm very excited about playing it this weekend, for sure. And I, I do think... I mean, like, like the place I think where it draws a lot of strength is um, both the Emerge decks and the uh, Monument decks, they, they're they paying some setup costs to make their deck work. Um, like, yeah. the Monument deck is a great deck when it plays that turn three Monument, and it, it has plays on turn one and two, but you don't care about Thraben Inspector into uh, uh, Thraben, uh, the, the, the flip guy, the, the grizzly bear that flips over. Uh, like, like it's, its early plays are you know, pretty anemic. They're just enough to get it to survive against, like, a mono-red deck, but against a pummeler deck or right. something, they don't mean anything. Same thing with the the um, emerge decks, is if they're spending a bunch of mana on Vessels of Nascency and goofing around with their graveyard, then they, they're in a lot of trouble against Pump Spell into to Fling or whatever you're doing to them. Yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about particular matchups, um, I, I I honestly can't see how Blue White Monument ever beats Green Light Pummeler. Yeah, like they they play very, very little removal spells. They're very dependent on chump blocking on the ground, and you just play a game plan that just doesn't care about whatever chump blockers they have. Yeah, because you just have a trampling forty forty, and they're just gonna die, right? Um, I was talking to John about that, and I said that I, I was gonna play a lot of I was gonna start playing the um, Pummeler deck. And John was like, "Great, I just don't think I can ever beat that deck." Yeah, definitely. Um, so, um, um, the 
And, and you know, this is a thing for multiple weeks in the future going forward. But yeah. um, the older uh, and, and and objectively worse lists, the mono white uh, monument lists, uh, like the, mm-hmm. the one that I played at the Invitational, um, there weren't a ton of great sideboard options because you don't get to put something like Nimble Obstructionist in your sideboard. Um, so what a lot of my sideboard was was different removal spells so you could end up with the best package um, after board. So, you know, like, between the main deck and the sideboard, I had castouts, stasis snares, deck in stones, uh, fairgrounds wardens, and fragmentizes. Like, and, and could they could be in the ma- in the deck in whatever numbers made sense for the matchup. So you know, if we right, right, were right. to move to you know the the monument deck is surprisingly adaptable, and if at some point they need to move to fairgrounds wardens main deck, uh, and and you know more instant speed like enchantment based removal out of the sideboard or something like that uh you know that's a evolution that it can make in the future and maybe something to think about if you're playing this weekend and and you know worried about pummeler or whatever yeah for sure um I, yeah i mean pummeler's one of the decks where like you know if if blue white monument decides that they want to put in um collective defiance in their sideboard or whatever the white collective card is um, oh, blessed it's very alliance, hard for us to yeah. Be, a blessed alliance, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's it's very hard for the Pummeler deck to beat, you know, that card in particular. Sure. Um, I think it's a little better now with something like Fling, where you can just like you know throw your forty forty at them, yes. and it doesn't have to connect. <laughs> um, and there are also draws where you're just attacking with multiple creatures, and you don't care about like sacrificing and attacking one. Definitely. But. Um, uh, but that that card, like if you're looking for a card that's just very good against the Pummeler decks, then that's definitely a place to start if you're playing white. Cool. Um, and it it seems like the kind of card that you might want against mono red, but I don't know that it actually works against the mono red decks. Like making them sacrifice an attacking creature even on turn two, they're sacrificing one of their three. Go- they're sacrificing their yeah. one power guy. Uh, it goes so wide that the impact that it's going to have on the board is probably just not what you want. Um, and like you know, sure, on turn four maybe it's good if you can like gain four life and make them sacrifice a dude. Yeah, you're spending but a lot of mana to do that. It's just it's just not high impact enough. I I don't think it's really what you want to be doing. Yeah, I think you really want targeted removal. You got to take out that on crop crasher. Uh, you got to take out the guy that they just that they're trying to put cartouche. Like the deck plays like two cartouches of zeal. Like, th- like the deck is or, dangerous. You see four. Or yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that deck is just trying to get you dead. So, yeah. like, um, uh, I I saw one version of the Monero deck that was playing three cartouches and three trial of zeals. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, so be able to prevent them from resolving their cartouches is very irrelevant. Yeah. I, would, I would say. So Magnus Brace all the way. Yeah, right. Yes. Um, uh, one, one. Okay, so this is this is one thing that I do want to mention. I don't think it's important right now for I need to be prepared for this if I'm going to a tournament, but it is one of those things that I think is worth keeping an eye on for the future. Um, I played a little bit with a blue-red prowess deck. Um, oh, yeah. Um, I actually have no experience with that, so I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, it's so it's... It's present. You'll play against it once in a while. If you play three leagues, you'll play against it maybe once. Um, uh-huh. It 
is not built correctly right now, and I don't know that the cards are in standard yet to make it. The builds that I've seen are mostly trying to be hyper-aggressive. You know, they run, like, consuming fervor, the, the red unstable mutation. Um, they Whoa. Yeah. Okay. It, it hits really hard. When it wants to punch you, it punches you. And, it you know, I've had 17 damage turns and stuff. Uh, uh, uh-huh. It also, you know, the lists I've seen run anywhere from, like, one to three insult to injury. And it just does crazy yes. things. Yes, yes. Great. So it's, it's really cool. Uh, the problem is it folds to really similar stuff as the mono red deck, and if the mono red deck is in the format, then you don't want to be playing this deck, I think. Um, what I really... The things I learned about it, um, Riddle Form is an excellent card. Uh, the one in a blue enchantment, when you cast a non-creature spell, it becomes a 3-3 flyer, and it, uh, can scry. Uh, so I just really like that card. It hits really hard really early and it also is very sweet against mono red my game plan against mono red ended up being sideboarding in uh four sweltering suns going up as much removal as i can uh and when they attack you with their creatures all of their cards that make a creature unable to block don't work on riddle form because they're all sorcerer speed oh okay so so they'll attack you'll magma spray their on crop crasher or whatever and then you'll block their two one with your three three Maybe they'll have a shock, so best case, you two-for-one them. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, like, yeah. that's their best case is getting two-for-one. You know, if they don't have the shock, the actual shock, uh, then they're probably just not going to be able to attack you again for several turns. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, there was an interesting deck, an interesting prowess deck at the SCG Open that instead of being as hyper aggro, you know, the, the one I, I was running was running like Firebow Archer, uh, the the common from Hour of Devastation that deals one to them every time you cast a spell. I think Our making, favorite limited two drop. Yes, powerful limited two drop. Um, yeah. You know, the deck really needs another one drop if it's going to be an aggressive deck. Just uh, the uh, Soul Scar Mage is not good enough. You need another turn one play if you're going to be trying to kill them as quickly as possible. Um, but I do think that Riddle Form is very powerful. I think that uh, the the 1-3 Flyer Haste is also a pretty powerful card. Uh, you know, put a Consuming Fervor on it, and it hits them for five when you had no board. Like, that's a... You know, the deck really wants Swift Spear if you're going to be an aggro deck. But I think there's some merit to the builds with uh, four Chandra Torch of Defiance, and is you know against the the low to the ground creature decks can play a controlling role while whittling away their life total and then killing them in one big turn. Um, but then against the the slower decks can do some work with evasive creatures hitting really hard. And I don't know exactly how to build it. I mean, my main takeaway is I really like Riddle Form a lot, and I would love to find a way to make that a real card. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, I, I, I agree with your earlier statement where you said that it's maybe doesn't have all of the cards as that it needs in standard right now. Yeah. But definitely like one of those sleeper decks that we'll have to revisit every time it gets like, it's one of those decks that's just going to keep on getting better the more cards that get printed. Right. Um, so we'll have to, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on it. Yeah. Um, moving forward. And kind of the, the secret thing, not even secret thing, but just like the thing that you don't realize about riddle form is that it does trigger off of every non-creature spell so casting another riddle form or casting a chandra torch of defiance activates the riddle form and gets you in for three damage and i think 
I think that's enough to make it a good card. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. Interested. I mean, I right. I've been very impressed with what I've seen out of that card so far. It's it sometimes just feels like a uh, two mana three three flyer. Um, that that doesn't so, die to sweltering suns or hour of devastation or sorcery yeah, speed removal. It just kind of lets you play those cards. Yeah, it's um, it's really yeah. cool. Um. So, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. kind of, you know, I just wanted to uh, mention that. But overall, that's kind of where the format is now. Um, any Pro Tour predictions or anything like that? I guess Pro Tour is not for another, you know, week and a half, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, the standard's changing so fast that I think that it'll probably change a lot between now and um, uh, the Pro Tour. But I, I do think that, you know, if we're taking previous Pro Tours, um, Lessons from previous Pro Tours in account. I think that, you know, Mono Red will probably show up in some uh, high frequency there. Uh, I think that if my testing about this Green Red Pummeler deck continues to go as successful as it is, that um, that'll also definitely be something that people are going to need to A, be able to answer, or B, just want to play at the Pro Tour. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, um, I don't really anticipate seeing many Emerge decks. Um, I do anticipate seeing a lot of monument decks of some variety, um, and uh, honestly, I'm excited about um, just kind of what people come up with. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we're going to see some decks that we've just never seen before. Well, this standard there's feels kind of wide open right now. Like it's aggressive, and there are threats you have to deal with, but there's a lot of different decks, and it's it's fun. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is fun. It's it's a ton of fun, and like all the games are like super intense. Um, you uh, uh, you have to make a lot of decisions that matter on pretty much all points of the game. Um, it's it's really just been pretty great. Yeah, uh, I've been enjoying it a lot. Like this is this is the healthiest and, and most interesting standard has been in in actual years at this point. I'm really really enjoying it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, like, you know, it'll it'll be fun and exciting to see if anybody, like, you know, breaks it or whatever the Pro Tour, but I kind of hope that doesn't happen so that we just continue to have this yeah. uh, just great standard. Yeah. I mean, it's also huge. Like, there's so many sets in standard that yeah. There, yeah, yeah. there's certainly good decks that nobody has, has quite put together or done anything with. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know... It's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm sure that like you know even like halfway through this particular standard format, we might see, mm -hmm. um, we might see like a new deck pop up that nobody had seen before, um, like maybe like a week or two before like the next set comes out or whatever. Sure. Um, just because this is so large, yeah. um, but you know we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I think there's just a lot to pay attention to. I'm excited. Um, yeah, um, and just kind of like, you know, uh, I think part of why the standard might be so exciting right now is because of potentially our next talking point, um, the, uh, the new Wizards announced their new um, uh, format for posting deck lists for Magic Online. Um, yeah, they, so, so... Yeah, I don't know if you want to transition into that right now but yeah um, that's probably what we're talking about right now um so yeah. for anybody who like hasn't been paying attention it, it's pretty much just that rather than 
posting 10 randomly chosen 5-0 deck lists uh, every day. They're going to sort post five, and they're going to be curated so that they're they're different decks. Um, I don't know. W- what are your initial thoughts on this? So, um, when I initially read this, I thought that they were just crazy. Okay, <laughs> I'll be honest, um, because uh, I am definitely some, someone who looks a lot and takes a lot of information out of the deck lists that get posted online. Yeah. Um, it's just a huge source of information. Um, yeah, so just looking at the 5-0 decks was something that myself and I'm sure pretty much every other like regular tournament grinder, uh, we read every single one of those deck lists that get posted just because it's so much information. And um, like ourselves alone, it's kind of impossible to grind through all that information on our own. We want to see like if there's any sweet cards that we've been missing that people have been putting in their decks yep. or... Um, you know, anything like that. Um, just like new archetypes that we haven't seen before, it's important to know about. Um, uh, and um, so I was I was definitely kind of sad to see that go initially. Like my initial reaction to that announcement was, um, I, I don't like that they've done this. Um, but I kind of even then I understood the reasoning behind it. Um, the people at Wizards miss the old days when there was no information that circulated and because I think that back then the there was this era of um, creativity and brewing and all this other stuff and uh, I know that like this is their attempt to force the um, community to go back to those days of um, less of an information age and more kind of creativity and people having freedom to play their own new fresh stuff right um and i'm i'm still a little torn on where i fall on it personally um i've definitely started to recognize that it is having a real effect on the standard metagame um standard and like i don't know how much of it is because of this new decklist change or how much of it is just because um, standards still new and people are still figuring it out, but I have definitely noticed that um, there's just a lot of very good options right now for standard. Um, and um, and if that is because of this like you know information restrictive update, then you know I guess that's kind of cool. But at the same time, uh, I don't really know if I agree that that is something that's up to wizards to decide for the community sure you know this is a huge decision that they've just kind of like yes this is just how it's going to be from now on and you know uh we deal with it we don't really yeah just like kind of deal with it right um this is this is what we wanted so this is what you're gonna have to deal with from now on yeah um i don't really agree with that just kind of like uh change yeah yeah that I, I, you know, I totally that unilateral to like this is how magic is right now. Yeah, like, this is how we've decided it's going to yep. be, and and you guys are going to have to like it because this is just what we're doing, right? Yep. Um, so uh, I I kind of disagree with that end, but I do understand where they're coming from, and I think that at least for the time being, it's working. Uh, I think standards great right now. Um, the problem is though that I I don't like that it is also being imposed on eternal formats as well 
Yeah. Because um, those naturally, those evolve very slowly, even right. with any, like, regardless of how much information you've got, there's just, like, the decks are good, the decks are mature, and trying to compete with them, like, like a brewer would benefit from having as much information as possible about what people are playing in order to try to exploit yes. a hole in the right. metagame. So I think, right, exactly. I, I think that's going to hurt. The less information you have in modern, the more difficult it is to innovate. Uh, if, yes. If you have the information that, holy crap, you know, this meta is 25% Death Shadow and 20% Eldrazi Tron, like, there's room to do something there. Uh, if if you don't have that information, you can't go in hard uh, on whatever. You cut out on me, Chris. Oh, sorry. Um, First thing there. But we're, it looks like we're back. Okay. So, so I was saying, like, you know, in Modern, if you have the information that, oh, this format is 20% Death Shadow and 20% Eldrazi Tron, like, there's room for you to do something there. Uh, but you can't commit hard if you see five decks and you see that one of them is Death Shadow, one of them is Eldrazi Tron, like, it, and you don't have that, like, day-after-day day information that, oh, man, right. there is a lot of both yeah. of these decks. Um, yeah, and then um, kind of the other angle that I want to touch upon about the decklist update is that... Um, I there's another reason that I can see why Wizards would want to do this, um, and that is it's very, it's a huge incentive for people who like myself who want to know the metagame very well, um, to actually just go out and play Magic. Mm -hmm. Like uh, in in the world we live in right now with the new update, um, if I want to know what the Magic Online metagame looks like, I have to play Magic Online. Um, if I wanted to know what my local game store metagame looked like, I would have to go to my local game store. Sure. Um, if I want to go, if I want to learn what the tournament, uh, the tournament metagame looks like, I'm gonna have to go to the tournaments and figure that out, right? Um, and and that is definitely a concept that I can see that Wizards is definitely very incentivized to push, because they just want people to be like out playing Magic on their platforms, whatever, be it like tournaments, the local scene. Uh, Magic Online, it's definitely an incentive to like actually go out and play as much Magic as you can because that's kind of the only way now that we're really going to have that very, very good grasp of what's doing well in the format is that like we have to now play those games and yep. um, what is beating actually you. Test yep. it, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I, you know, I, I can definitely see that angle. Um, and I, one of the other arguments is that, oh, you know, that just gives all of the, like, the huge testing teams a huge advantage or whatever. Um, but, which is, I think, true in a certain extent. Like, and, and I am now benefiting that because I'm on a team, <laughs> team of, you know, six other guys. Yep. Um, and, and we have the capacity to grind all those games, play, you know, between all of us, maybe, like, 50 or 60 Magic Online games in a, in a night or whatever. Um uh, and just like be able to have that read on the metagame, um, but I, uh, you know, if you and your friends want to like go to a tournament or whatever, you you can do that too. You can you can you know go on Magic Online, see what people are playing by actually playing leagues and stuff. So um, yeah, I think that the person that it hurts is the person who just doesn't have the time for that, um, which is very reasonable. And I think that's a real thing to consider is that like there are definitely players out there who um, you know don't have time to play five leagues a day on, on Magic Online and um, and are very reliant on being able to look at the deck list posted online and be like, okay, 
this is what I'll sleeve up for this weekend when I decide to go to this tournament or whatever, which is kind of the only time that I get to play. Right. So I, I do think that that encouraging people to play Magic, I think this is definitely one way of doing that. I, I, I like that point that like if you want information about Standard, go play Standard. Um, yeah. What I don't know is that so, so if the stated goal or if the implied goal is like get us back to you know when Paul Sly could show up at a pro tour with a mono red deck which nobody had ever seen before, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I mean, and, and obviously, you know, the goal isn't to get us back to that Wild West state because that's impossible at this point. But, right. you know, the question is just like, like, like it's kind of a two part question. Like, is it possible to get the information low enough that then people have to? Uh, that that you know people are are not going to know the format perfectly and and are these innovations uh, are going to happen a lot is it actually possible to reduce the information to that point where it makes sense and then second is this though even if it is definitely possible is this the way to do it because i don't know that magic is more fun if you know at some point you end up going to a tournament like man i wonder what people are going to be playing at this tournament i hope the cards that i'm playing are good cards like that's not you know that's not what we talk about on this podcast that's not the game that we play right now and i'm not sure that i'm interested in playing that game right you know, if, yeah if sure. we were able to get to that point um yeah i i i don't know um i i do believe that the community is going to adapt to this and probably do its own efforts to post deck lists and stuff. And I think that, you know, we live in the information age. The information is just, it's going to get out there, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely never going to be back to that old place of um, uh, being in a spot where nobody really knows what's going on. So um, I, I, I think that it's kind of, a, it almost feels like a futile effort that Wizards is attempting here to right. to do that because you know there's just going to be so much information out there that it's just impossible for us not to not to find out what's what's going on in the metagames or anything. Yeah, I agree. Um, so you know that's that's one of the big pieces of news. This is a very news-heavy week. Um, there's a couple of really small things, um, some some local tournament changes that you know don't affect us to a huge extent but are kind of interesting to talk about at least briefly um, oh yeah for sure so i mean replacing fnm promos with tokens is kind of an interesting one uh so some of the explanations given for that are kind of like uh the fnm is supposed to be a stepping stone for newer players to become more engaged with the game and so the promos that they're using to encourage people to play they would rather be the type of promos that encourage more casual players to step up rather than people who come in with their Magic Online decks or whatever. Um, so, I don't know. Thoughts on that? What? Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> that that second point is very valid because, like, you know, I don't really play a lot of FNMs. Like, I, I, I play, I think, more local stuff than the average um, tournament grinder or whatever, but yeah. I, I, I still at the same time don't really play much local stuff. Um, but you know, when I found out that Fatal Push was going to be an FNM promo, yep. uh, me as a grinder, I was like, sure, I'll go crush FNM and, uh, and get that promo. That sounds great. Cause that card's going to be worth like 10 bucks or whatever. Um, 
And so I think and, most uh, of the loudest voices online are going to be people who, you know, also look forward to Fatal Push, who, who, right. who yeah. play a lot of Magic and would go to FNM just to get the Fatal Push. But, yeah. that, but you know, at the, the same goal, time, if, yeah, if the goal is to get a lot of new players into Magic through the turn, the local scene or whatever, um, you know, if, if, if I showed up and just kind of stomped them and they never really had a shot at getting their, you know, uh, uh, their promos at FNM, that's probably not really what Wizards wants to push as much. If, yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh, even, you know, like Atomic, uh, our, our local game store, Atomic Empire, uh, they they give out all of their promos randomly now. I don't know if that's like a rule and everybody does that, but it's still not fun to show up at a tournament with your, I, I guess the the current the current meme is your cat theme deck. Uh, but it's not fun to show up at FNM <laughs> with your cat theme deck and and play against Elder Deep Fiends. So, right, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a good point. Um, and uh, honestly, like if these tokens end up being sweet, then yeah. great. It's just kind of like a new because, like for me personally, I was I've never I'm not I'm not really a foils kind of guy. I I tend to avoid foils when I can. Right, because um, they're just marked cards. Uh, Right, because well, I mean, there's that aspect of it, but at the same time, um, I just like I don't need my deck to be shiny personally, and I know that this is, might even be like a minority opinion, but I would I would rather just like you know be cost efficient in picking up decks and stuff. Sure. Um, but uh, when it comes to like tokens and stuff, I I could definitely see how uh, like if I had like a sweet um, like foil zombie token or whatever that I really liked, I, I would play that, you know, yeah. for sure. I, and so, it, like, if the tokens that they end up having come out of this is are sweet, then you know, it's just like a new exciting thing in Magic that I can't really be against. Yeah, I, I can't help being a little disappointed that you know they're introducing the play design team now. So ideally, you know, hopefully they would have had a better hit rate with their F and M promos. You know, we're not going to get we're not going to get yeah. so many reverse engineers, and we'll get more ether hubs and fatal pushes and that sort of thing. And that would have right, been nice, right. uh, but you know, again, like maybe that's just not the goal to pursue with FNM. You know, if it makes it a weaker recruitment tool, and like all of us benefit from from new players picking up magic, so it's something that that I think is important to support. For sure, yeah. Um, um. So they are kind of replacing like the one cool thing. Uh, is that those standard showdown packs are now going to have foil copies of uh, those Rebecca Gway basics from the commander decks, which are real, real pretty. Um, the problem is I still don't really understand what standard showdown is. I think it's just like tournaments on Saturdays or Sundays that are standard can be classified as standard showdown tournaments, and then they get some of these packs in their prize support. Like, is there anything else to it, or is that it? Um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I haven't really looked too much into this, um, but the, uh, the standard showdown packs are definitely something that, um, uh, I, I, like I've seen pop up around, but I've never really like seen like super pushed in terms of like marketing or anything like that. So I'm right. just not terribly familiar with what's going on. Yeah, I think, um, so, and that's kind of my problem with this is that like, I'm a pretty entrenched player i try to keep abreast of what's going on and i don't really I, i'm not certain what standard showdown is and you know their standard showdown page when i click they have a finder at the bottom but it doesn't find you standard showdown events it just finds you stores in the area and none of my local stores 
list standard showdown events on their schedule, even if they have standard tournaments that they hand out showdown packs for. Yeah, right, right, right. So it's it's a very confusing thing. But hopefully what yeah. they're doing here, it looks like they're trying to set it up as sort of a local season with a store championship at the end. Like they moved game day to the end of a, a standard sets uh, cycle. Okay, Okay. Um, so I think the idea is to like build up over time, and then you have the store championship tournament at the end, which I think is a cool like local level iteration of kind of like high level play with with seasons and and like culminating tournaments. And I think that's a cool idea if they can make it work and make it clear to players what's going on. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that that's just going to come down to Wizards' ability to advertise these things, as well as like the local stores' ability to advertise them at a local level, right? Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I wish them the best of luck. I really hope that like standard picks up at a local setting because I think standard sweet. Yeah, it's but, finally good. Um, like, let's let's get people playing it, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I've been doing my best to tell all the local guys where I'm at, um, just to. The standard's great, and they should be playing it. Because um, I know that uh, at Atomic, our local store, standard just kind of hasn't existed for a while. Uh, like, everybody's playing modern, or we have a big legacy community, which might not be, like, you know, your normal stores, um, where your normal stores is out, but uh, um, standard is just not something that people have been interested in lately, so. Right, right. Like, I've, I've actively tried to play standard at FNMs, could not but could play literally any other format like like i could draft i could play modern i could play legacy i could probably not play in an actual vintage tournament but i i'm sure if i looked around i could find somebody with a vintage deck and modern yeah, is just right. it's just dead or standard i mean has, has just yeah, been dead right. and i would really like to yeah. see that change now yeah um for sure uh, i think standard's great i've kind of always loved standard so um I'm very excited to see it come back to a certain extent. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to see Wizards doing things to push it in that direction. Yeah, and yeah. I hope I hope they work. A lot of them are you know, right. getting kind of a negative response on the internet at the moment, but kind of, yeah, I don't know that they but can that's do just anything. But that's kind of going to be the thing regardless, yeah. right? I, I, I don't yeah. know that Wizards could announce anything. Like, they could announce giving free money to every person who buys a magic pack, and there would be things wrong with <laughs> We'd find something to complain about, for sure. So. Yeah. Um, but like I, I've got high hopes, honestly. Um, I think that Wizards has demonstrated that they've done a lot of good things um, in the in the recent past. Um, like for example, uh, do you remember when Standard was just way too expensive to get into? Yeah. Uh, Wizards stepped up and they were like, "All right, we're printing masterpieces now, and we believe that that's going to drive down the price of your standard staples." And look what we are now. Like, uh, you can go out and buy a tier one standard deck for like 150 bucks, yep, right? Definitely. Uh, it just clearly worked as intended, and I think that that's just you know a great example of them you know thinking outside of the box in in, in pretty sweet ways that solved a problem. Yeah, um, I and mean, sadly, like the masterpieces thing just isn't that sustainable. There just aren't enough cards to keep making masterpieces. So I hope that. Right. Yeah. But, but it was a good idea that did work the way that they wanted it to. Um, hopefully yeah. they yeah. find some way to keep, yeah, to, to keep up with that philosophy. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think that it, uh, the bottom line, I guess, there is that Wizards is listening and, um, and they are making decisions that do impact us, I think, in, in healthy ways moving forward. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical about the um the moto list changes but i, I kind of see where they're going with it um 
So I guess I guess we'll just kind of see. Yep. Um, and then kind of the last thing is really, I don't, I don't know, kind of the biggest thing. It's it's very exciting stuff. Um, and the just today, you know, just a couple of hours ago, uh, these announcements yes. got yeah, dropped. Yeah. Um, but you know, a bunch of pro tour stuff. Um, some of it more or less relevant, uh, depending on where you are in your competitive career. But I think to me, they all seem like positive changes. Um, I mean, just to go over what they are, the main things are number one, upcoming PTs. Uh, there's going to be a modern pro tour next year and, uh, the 25th anniversary pro tour is going to be a team trios pro tour it's the same as the same format as the SCG team events so one standard deck one modern deck one legacy deck um which means that like we're gonna get a legacy pro tour effectively um which is very cool for the legacy fans yeah, I among mean, us we're gonna be playing legacy on the pro tour at yep. least There's so gonna be a be lot of to see. right a lot of underground seas on camera <laughs> in a pro tour match like that's very cool yeah for sure um i mean i'm excited uh i think that uh team uh, I, I kind of want uh, like team constructed events and team limited events to be where Magic goes in the future. Uh, like I would love to see more of that moving forward, and it's definitely looking like pe- they're listening to that and they are trying to do more of that. Yep. Um, uh, the all the team tournaments that I've played in in the past uh, have been a blast, um, a ton of fun. So I'm I'm just excited. I uh, I like team events. Yeah, it's it's way more fun to win with your friends than to win alone, and it's way more fun to lose with your friends than to lose alone. Because yes, very true. Yeah, yeah. You, you're all commiserating together. Like, I always want my friends to do well, but when I like two four an event, and then one of my friends exos day one, like I'm happy for him, but I feel like garbage. If we two four together, man, at least we can go get burritos together and commiserate. So <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I think that's very real. Like, this past weekend, um, my team, like, crushed the event, and I kind of had the worst result. Um, but I was still ecstatic that we were doing well, right? Yep. Um, and, that, you know, that was a individual event, but, you know, I was on a team. I was invested in everybody else's results. Um, uh, just, you know, listening to John come up and me come up to me and tell me that he was, like, 13-0 and or 12-0 yes. or whatever. <laughs> totally insane numbers. That was just, you know, and, like, I, I had lost a couple of rounds before that, but um i was just very happy and and my just like emotionally going away from that tournament i was just super pumped that my team did very well despite me kind of having like a a medium minus finish right yeah and i think this Uh, is also a a cool way um depending on how they do it and you know there's details in the announcement about how you know qualifications and 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 teams are going to work but you know they they introduced the kind of official team concept to the pro tour these six-man teams um, and I think having actual team pro tours is really necessary if they're going to make that a thing that people care about and, and keep track of and that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. Uh, I think it's going to be great. Um, also, modern pro yeah. tour, you know, I, I think it's just not not having every format be standard draft, standard draft. Like, I, I think that's a, a big upgrade. I want to see modern at, at, a, yeah. at a high level. Um, yeah, I, I was kind of anticipating this announcement in like in the next couple of years um, because modern has just demonstrated that it's just so much more popular right now than any of the other formats. Yeah. Um, so uh, I honestly I was kind of surprised that they hadn't announced this a little earlier. Um, people want modern pro tours. People love playing modern. Um, 
so uh, you know, it definitely just a smart move on on their part to have a modern Pro Tour. Um, if you know, just so that they'll get more people excited about it. Yeah, definitely. And and I know like their concerns about it. Like, I mean, there are some people concerned because they don't want pro attention on their their pet format. But I think that's a not reasonable <laughs> concern. Yeah, like, I mean, um, I've definitely heard a lot of arguments around that. Um, but one thing that somebody said recently was that um, uh, the pro tour affects the timing on like banning and stuff and not really the actual banning itself. Yeah. Um, uh, like, I think that they probably banned some things, um, uh, like, maybe ahead of schedule or whatever, but, I, you know, if we're being realistic, like, you know, how, how long were some of these decks going to last anyways? Well, there um, are people who are still salty over Splinter Twin being banned. So, that's, you know, yeah. there's... I mean, there's, yeah. yeah, I... Um, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The um, there, you know, the last time we had a modern Pro Tour was the start of Eldrazi Winter. Yeah. Um, and that was definitely a bad look on modern Pro Tours, but I I think that people would have found that deck anyways. Um, oh you yeah. Know, yeah. Uh, uh, no it, question. It probably would have taken a lot longer for people to find it if we didn't have pros in houses, you know, grinding this stuff. But I, I think that it definitely would have been found at some point. I, so, I think it would have taken two weeks longer. Like those just. Right. Yeah. That's just not the, a significant. The two mana land that. interactions with like, it's just too, too hard to pass over. Like that's just a thing. And it might've taken a while. I mean, and, and those decks at the pro tour weren't, were not where the final iterations of the deck ended up. Uh, you know, they, they didn't get to the point where, where, where the format turned out oh shoot this is how you cast reality smasher so just if you chose to play eldrazi at that tournament you were doing a good thing um so um so like the, yes, the, right. the modern community at large does a good job of exploring powerful interactions and coming up with you know here's the tuned 75 um yeah for sure um uh, yeah, so, right, and I think that kind of goes along the point of, like, it, it definitely affects the timing on things. I think that it, like, speeds up that process or whatever if we have Pro Tours doing that, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, like, I, down the road, I, I think that it's, it, you know, it alone is not the only force behind um, those decisions being made or whatever. No, definitely not. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm really excited to see Modern played at, at the Pro Tour level, and hopefully it's it's a pretty regular thing in the future. Um, I mean, I'm just really excited that we're getting two Pro Tours next year that are not just Standard. Um, I mean, I like Standard. I especially like Standard right now. But, but yeah. you know, there will like having a legacy Pro Tour, a modern Pro Tour to look forward to watching is really cool. Or to look forward to playing in if, if you're, you know, doing that thing. And, you know, on that note is, is kind of the other announcement. Um, the, the changes to the Pro Player Club. Um, yes. So, yeah. so for um, those who haven't seen the announcement, uh, it's basically two parts. Um, uh, the first thing is that rather than your points being over the course of a year and it just being like hard, you know, this is the pro tour season, this 12 months is where you have to hit gold, you know, silver or gold or platinum if you're one of the chosen few. Uh, <laughs> that yeah, yeah. You get it over whatever the last 12 months is and on every set release, it, it resets like... A, you know, what, what the last 12 months counts as. Um, and you sort of like 
levels are calculated every three months rather than you starting over every year. Um, and then the second part of it is also that they're introducing a bronze level, which is if you're at 10 pro points over the course of the past 12 months, basically, then you're, the only real bonus is that you're qualified for your RPTQ every season, which yeah. I think is pretty big. I, I think it just means that anyone who wants to focus on GPs doesn't then have to play PPTQs, which which seems pretty right. nice to me. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely like a real thing for me personally, is that um, uh, I play mainly on the Star City Games series, and whenever there's not a Star City Games open that weekend, I'll go to a Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like a, uh, a, a product of that is that um, I don't play in many PPTQs at all. Um, it's just like, you know, I'll play in maybe like one a season or something if there happens to be a weekend where that's like the only thing that's going on that weekend. And that doesn't give um, you great odds, even if you play real well. That's not great right, odds so, of hitting the RPTQ. Right. So that, yeah, that, that, and I think that that's the RPTQ is like the best way to qualify for the Pro Tour right now. Um, I think it's much easier to get to the Pro Tour through that than kind of anything else. Yeah. Um, like maybe, you know, topping a Grand Prix or 13 uh, toing a Grand Prix is like the the other easiest way, but still that's very difficult. It is. Um, so for me personally, I just like haven't had many opportunities to um, get to the Pro Tour because I'm playing in so many tournaments every weekend. Um, and I think that like um, if I decided to switch my focus from the Open Series to Grand Prix, uh, this change is very beneficial for me because uh, I'll be able to be much more likely to be able to get to an, a regional Pro Tour qualifier than I would um, without this change. Right, and if you, you know, if you get to the point where you play in an RPTQ every season, like you're getting, you're going to get to the Pro Tour relatively regularly. Uh, like it's 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 really just a matter of numbers at that point. Um, and, right. You know, if, if this 60 person tournament, four of the people playing in it go to the Pro Tour, like that's the best odds you can possibly get. Uh, so so RPTQs yeah. are, are pretty great. And I think, yeah. you know, this is a good way of, you know, they'll be bigger now, certainly, but probably not that much bigger. Uh, and it just means that if you are mm-hmm. dedicated to grinding magic tournaments, uh, you don't have to go to these really low EV PPTQs to, to sort of maybe get a leg up. And I, I think that's cool. Right, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that it's just a positive. Like, the, it's kind of like one of those like no downside things. Like, I, I can't see even any like negative thing coming out of this existing really. So, um, yeah, I'm, I think that it's a good change. Yep. Um, one other thing to note, and I don't know how far this is going to go, um, but they changed. So there's no longer the GP cap. So it used to be your your six best GPs in a year. Uh, you'd get those pro points uh, to your pro point total, um, but now it's an event-based cap uh so every every one of the seasons the three month long seasons whatever your three best events are whether those are gps or pro tours or or nationals or whatever um you get those points added to your total um and so you know whatever doesn't really affect me or you very much at this point uh the way that we're playing magic um but what i think is really cool is the implication that uh tournaments besides GPs and Pro Tours and then weird ones like Nationals and Worlds or whatever, 
could pos potentially award pro points. Like, I think this opens the door to things like the SCG Invitational getting pro points added to its prize package. Um, it's a possibility. I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but it certainly could not have happened under the old system, and it it's a mm -hmm. way to, to make it a, a, a thing under the new system, which could be really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm excited to see kind of where it takes us. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. It would just be cool to, to sort of open up that, I don't know, kind of incorporate the, the larger sort of, I, I don't even know if the SEG tournaments are, are counted as premier events, but sort of make it all more cohesive, make it part of one, one kind of structure where you're earning things that, that contribute to your, I don't know, pro points are cool, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, like, uh, you know, currently it's pretty hard to find yourself getting pro points, especially if you're playing in the Open Series. But, um, you know, you, you kind of have to either focus on one or the other, I feel like, right now. Yeah, yeah. So, and you know, if, if they were, if they were to open up anything like that, then definitely that would be great. Cool. Well, I think that's, you know, I think we talked about pretty much everything that we wanted to hit today. Um, I think pretty yeah, soon we're um, going to... We're gonna to try to do a segment on just magic online and and how to how to yeah, use we it to had, best advantage. We, it doesn't look like we're gonna have enough time to get into that today, but we did have to talk about just kind of magic online in general, like you know, like the the need to know kind of deal for for all of that. So um, I guess we'll be looking forward to that in the next episode or, or in a future episode to come. Yeah, hopefully the next one, but but yeah, definitely look out for that. I I, I think we've got some good some good advice for people who are trying to get started making magic online kind of work for them. Um, right. Yeah. And, um, uh, I've been playing magic on for online for quite a while now. <laughs> so, um, hopefully, hopefully I'm able to give, a, give some good tips on that one for sure. Awesome. Cool. Uh, yeah. well then I guess signing off. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week. All right. See you guys.